Welcome to What the If? I have nothing clever to say this morning. That's yeah. fine. We, we've got a new shipment of cleverness on the first of the month. That's right, but I haven't unpacked it yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we're still we're still cataloging and filing it away. We're making um, we're actually we're consumed with making um, the little um, labels. I mean, right, typing, making the using the label. Oh yeah, the you know how to, uh, trying to use the label maker, those tiny little oh, buttons. Love that. Love hmm. that. Um, what? But what the, if? What the life? What the life? It's kind of it's a little tease of what our subject is today. We'll come to that in a moment. Meanwhile, speaking of being out of the loop, I uh, slept last night well, actually, strangely enough, uh, but sometimes when it's raining, yeah, it does help you sleep kind of well. Mm-hmm. I woke up this morning very refreshed, looked out the window, absolutely gorgeous day, crystal clear blue skies, low humidity, everything looks very sharp and beautiful, and I turn on the news, and apparently the entire city is underwater. Yeah, it's a little crazy here. Mm-hmm. Um, you slept through the, the apocalypse. I yeah, slept. You know, nothing. And uh, and my little, you know, I'm on somewhat high ground. Not the highest ground in my neighborhood, but it's not too bad. Although I'm one block from the river, but up a rather steep hill. So actually, yeah, I should walk down to the bottom there and see what's going on. Um, because Gabby, you you and I share the same river from opposite sides. You are at Rockefeller University <laughs> on the East River, and I'm on the east side of the East River. Um. And, uh, yeah, apparently record setting, I mean, this is not even a what, this is another what the if we continually are living through things that used to be what the if are becoming totally standard. What now. the F. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, three, like, anyway, three inches of rain in Central Park in like an hour or something crazy. Uh, anyway, huge record setting thing. Um, on the, what the weather guy on the news this morning was saying that, um, He's like pointing out all the, oh, we had a tornado here in Philadelphia. We had a flood here. We had the highest this, the highest this, the worst this. And he said, any one of these things would have been a huge headline today. And and we're getting like a dozen of these things all at the same time. Crazy. Um, but our subject today um, is uh, well-fitted, well-suited um, for you guys, uh, for my esteemed co-hosts here, especially Gabby, um, meaning you are the fittest, with the survival of the fittest, you are most likely to survive this episode. Yeah, this is my ecological niche, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gabby uh, is a virologist at uh, the Rockefeller University. and so you, you'll hear in a second how this ties into our topic today. Matt, um, where would you, how, is this your ecological niche or are you adjacent? No, I'm, prob- diagram? I'm probably an invasive species. Oh, no. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's not actually my, uh, my niche in any, 
uh, in any way, um, but I do tread in now and then to try and steal resources from uh, the, the native inhabitants. Right. Now, invasive species, it always seems to me, we, we always talk about them in terms of being the ones that just come in and just like they're super powerful, they have their superpowers, and they mm -hmm. completely destroy the environment. We don't talk so much about those that are, I suppose, those are the, those are the ones that get all the movies made about them. They're like the Bruce Willis. Yeah, that's uh, right. The invasive species that, that die right away aren't. Right. Great. <laughs> so we, don't get, we don't get much coverage. Failed. That would be a fun series. Failed invasive species. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be fun. So um, speaking of life, and when are we not, really? Um, uh, today's if is inspired by um, experts in the field, the uh, SETI Institute, uh, um, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And I'd like to give them a shout out. Um, you, the, our listeners probably already know about them, but if you don't, you look them up, SETI.org, S-E-T-I.org. And uh, they have a, you know, a regular series of um, talks, um, panel discussions, lectures, that kind of thing, um, which for many years, I believe, was mostly just done at their Headquarters, their beautiful headquarters, where I've never gotten to go because it's far away uh, in Mountain View, California. But thanks to the pandemic, um, it's one of these institutions that has really gone gung-ho and putting their lectures online. And um, so I've been watching those. And so they had one um, just recently, just um, last week, I think, uh, called uh, Can We Define Life? Very interesting. And um, clearly something they have to do. It's a big part of their yes. job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, you know, great artists steal. And so I don't know if I'm a great artist, but criminals also steal and plagiarists. So I was like, that is an interesting topic. Yeah. And we happen to have with both of you guys, uh, excellent uh, people, well suited to also explore this um, question. But I just want to give a shout out, look up the, uh, that uh, lecture online if you're interested in hearing more. But we are what, what the if. So um, Matt, if you could just describe... Um, and, and by the way, real quick, so I, I uh, some of you may have discovered us through Overcast, a uh, podcast app, very popular. Uh, I believe actually only on the Apple platform, but uh, anyway, we get a lot of people there. And one of the things is uh, made by an independent guy, an Apple fan, actually a, a hero in the Apple world, a programmer named uh, Marco Arment, super cool guy. Shout out to Marco. Um, but you can you can advertise on that if you're a podcast, you can advertise. On it. So I've been advertising on that. And so I get to try out different um, taglines or different descriptions of our show and see which ones are the most popular. Oh, and all right. Which ones two, work? The, the two most popular are, um, one is just a quote. I, one thing I tried was, hey, let me get some quotes by Einstein. It's always popular. And uh, one that was very popular is, imagine, uh, Einstein said, apparently, uh, imagination is the highest form of research love that so if you came from that that is excellent um another one is simply learn science the way einstein did mm -hmm. um so matt could you explain what what does that mean what are we doing what, what um, well to einstein it's, it's could like we einstein did it's um hitting on any eligible female that comes within oh, range. oh my um, so oh i don't my, really? I, I, I don't think we're doing that one wow um so uh, that I was probably, not in my documentary. We didn't. You and I did not cover that. Um, well, he kept it within the family. Go watch the documentary. Well, yes, that's, that. that is also true. Um, so we, what we probably mean is his addiction to thought experiments. 
um, imagining how something might be and then running with the consequences uh, and seeing what that looks like. Um, uh, And for him, that usually meant trying to come up with some kind of uh, realization about how the world should be and then trying to get people to go check and see if that was right. Um, We just end up uh, destroying the world. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, I also think of it as the impatient student's way of learning because that's how I was. Once we were learning something cool, I was the first thing I was thinking about as well. Wow, wow, what could we do with that? Uh, 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 was it teleportate quantum teleportation? Wow, we could really do some stuff with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, that's why I had to change my major eventually. So <laughs> into movies. Uh, <laughs> fun fact. Um, so. Our topic today, inspired by this question of what is life? Can we define life? Is what the if? You, and I mean you, listener, wanted and set out. There was nothing stopping you trying to create life. From nothing or from non-life. Because creating life, I think the first thing we have to get out of the way is that creating life, more life from already existing life, has been figured out, I believe. Uh, Well, if... um... If you are listening to this, then yes, you are an example of how life has managed <laughs> That's to fantastic. produce That's fantastic. Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Indeed, and, and you know, mm-hmm. Matt, you are a parent, so anyone who's also a parent mm-hmm. has uh, dabbled in this, this dark art. <laughs> yes, that's right. So that is not, uh, uh, yeah, so we don't really need an if to talk about um, uh, life producing more life. At the moment, ask your parents. <laughs> <laughs> but going back further than that, I think one thing children do ask, uh, at least children who are daydreamers and and disturbed, as I was, you quickly go back and back and back. Oh, okay, my parents, sure, grandparents. Oh yeah, I love my grandparents; they're really cool. Yeah, and uh, great grandparents. There were old and a little strange, but I re- barely remember them. And then prior to that, they were in, and you go back pretty quickly and you get to, depending on what kind of upbringing you have, you might go to a, into a religious zone and learn about maybe Adam and Eve or whatever your myth of your particular culture is, your creation myth. Or you might uh, go to, um, oh, well, you learn about um, evolving, having a common ancestor with apes and that line and, mm-hmm. and going all the way back, there. right, and going back to... Um, maybe somehow the individual cells, but you can keep going back. But eventually you get to a point where you now reach, you now ask the same if or the same how that great minds like Charles Darwin and who knows, everybody ask, which is at what point did it all begin? Mm -hmm. Right. And so Gabby, maybe you could, uh let's you know be kind of funny let's say we teleport back in time this would be kind of a fun way to do this right we teleport uh, real quick this is inspired by uh, um cosmos the original cosmos with carl sagan 
he he had an episode there or a segment where he talked about an experiment. And, and Matt, what was the name again? Yuri. Uh, the Miller-Yuri experiment. Miller-Yuri experiment, where they basically mm -hmm. got something Gabby will help us learn about in a little bit, whatever, the quote, ingredients of life, different chemicals, and put them in a jar and heat it up and hit it with electrical sparks, like sort of saying maybe on Earth, maybe lightning got something, you know, who knows? We don't know how it got started. Could, could we create life? So we go back in time rather than do it in the lab. We go back in time. It's own if. I refer you to a number of wonderful episodes we've done on the time travel. We're here at the earliest stage of what we consider the beginning of life, right? We're on Earth, but just before whatever that was, and we want to create life. Where do we, first of all, maybe either Matt or Gabby, what does the world look like? And, and then how do we set out on this madcap? Gabby, you want to take that? Uh, well, you can take take the planetary scale, and I can then talk more about the primordial soup, I think, the ingredients sure. in the yeah. primordial mm -hmm. soup. So the era we're talking about um, in terms of the formation of the Earth uh, is very early. Um, so the, the surface is extremely hot. It's still molten in lots of places, um, mm -hmm. both from internal, internal volcanism. Um, and the, the crust is still recovering from the impacts that, say, formed the moon. Um, early on. So uh, we've got lots of active volcanoes and lava vents. Um, the atmosphere is full of things like sulfur dioxide uh, and ash from, uh, from the volcanoes. Um, uh, so that's important. It's quite hot. Uh, and there's lots of um, atmospheric lightning. Um, volcanoes cause a lot of lightning, and this turns out to be important as well. Um, so there is uh, water on the surface, um, but it's hot and gunky. Um, so this is not a place where you could survive. For instance, there's no oxygen um, in the atmosphere yet, uh, which is good. For, Much for of what you're describing, if we simply played that clip without the question at the beginning, would just sound like mm -hmm. New York in the summer. Exactly, right? <laughs> That's it. So, so everything we're going to be talking about today, you should expect to see um, on the subway. Uh, yeah, you could, well, yeah, you could go down to Times Square and into the Times Square subway station and perhaps create life. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so we're on the early earth. And when you say early, how early are we talking? It's, it's very, it's actually like half a million, half a billion. Yeah, so um, that's right. So something like 500 million years after the, the formation of the earth. So about four billion, three and a half to four billion years ago. Right, right. And when you say hot, how hot? Ish. Well, this is part of the conversation, is it's not entirely clear, um, right, at least right. less than 100 degrees Celsius, right? Because we need to have liquid water. Okay, right. All right. Um, so jacuzzis everywhere, but on watch your step on the way to the jacuzzi pond because mm -hmm. you may fall into a molten. Yeah, pond. so don't go swimming. Right. Uh, all right. So, and Gabby has gone back in time because this is uh, very ambitious. Uh, in scientist and, and wants to get firsthand experience. Why not? Um, so what what are you going to, how will you begin this quest, Gabby? No, yeah, so oh, first... we should be clear that, sorry, as far as we understand what we will, the definition of life is a kind of mushy thing, perhaps, so we, let's not say that, but like we're on, you're on this planet and the one thing you definitely do not see anywhere is anything we would easily recognize as 
life. There's no trees, for instance, right? Um, yeah, trees took a long while to pop up. Right, no grass, nothing. It's just kind of like Mars-ish, uh, but mm -hmm. very active. More, more like Io, perhaps. Okay, so... Yeah, so in the sort of primordial soup, um, this was kind of replicated by the Yuri Miller experiment where they had water, methane, ammonia, and I think hydrogen um, all together in like a flask and heated it and essentially found out that afterwards there were a lot... Sorry. They're back. Like, They're back. Yes. <laughs> Whenever we discuss these topics, strange things. Yeah, me dropping my microphone on my lap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so essentially they found that organic chemicals, so um, things that you might expect to be sort of life adjacent or used by life, things that we can metabolize and eat, were in the water. And although there was nothing there to use them yet. Eventually, there was sort of this hypothesis put forward that we had an RNA world where there wasn't really life as we think of it exactly today, but there were self-replicating RNAs. So you've probably heard me talk about RNA before on the show. It's kind of like DNA, um, but RNA has some cool quirks in the fact that it's also sometimes used as a catalyst in the body. It can carry out reactions in a way that DNA can't because DNA is fairly inert, doesn't really do anything. So ribosomes, which are the part of your cells which make proteins, they translate the uh, messenger RNA into proteins and let your body actually do stuff. They're like a major linchpin of the cell. The part of it that's actually catalytic that's doing that is RNA. So what you have is essentially this world where it's all these unbound RNAs that are self-replicating. Um, it is organic chemicals. And then eventually from there is where, you, you know, insert hand-waving here, is when you start getting things that are maybe a little bit more complicated. Now this RNA is packaged within some kind of membrane. Now it's able to sort of control what's inside versus what's outside. And there actually is a fair amount of evidence that this is what happened. And one of the cool pieces of evidence is actually viruses. Uh, so viruses are thought to be a leftover piece of the RNA world, that they are essentially self-replicating RNAs, but have now sort of adapted to dealing with uh, biological life and using that as a medium as opposed to, you know, all the primordial soups that we don't really have anymore lying around. So the OG, the original gangster life was RNA, perhaps. RNA mm -hmm. are the OG of the, so when you get, if you, if, if, as my mother would say, God forbid you get a virus, um, you can say, well, yeah, that's the original gangster, right? It's coming at you. Yeah, it was uh, the, still... the grandpappy of the uh, little Jurassic Park in mm -hmm. infomercial guy, the Mr. DNA. <laughs> it's his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Mr. That's RNA. Right. And that's... that's right. That's right. Um, and, and, RNA, and just to be real simple here, so RNA, it's a molecule. Is that right? Yep. Right. It is a molecule. So it's, a molecule. it's a molecule. And so I can envision from chemistry class or something, you know, uh, uh, a toy we used to have called Tinker Toys. I don't know if such a thing exists anymore, but sort yeah, of. Tinker Toys are great. Atoms connected, you know, some different atoms, different kinds of atoms connected to each other. And that's an RNA molecule. You can imagine a molecule floating around. And now you said it's self replicating. And it's so interesting because, like, that word in today's age has it's such a high tech sounding thing because. We are trying to create self-replicating machines. Forget life as a, mm -hmm. even just machines we're trying to make. So, um, but let's go all the way back. 
self-replicating. What, what is that? And how is that different from other, like, was there anything else that was self-replicating before that? Is that the first instance of self-replicating? And what does that even mean? How does a molecule, it's just a molecule, right? How does it, self-replicating sounds very intentional. Well, so that's the thing. So, you know, when we think of, say, DNA, which is sort of a counterpart to RNA, we just imagine the double helix. And we're like, oh, all right, that's fine. But how is that doing it? But like I said, DNA is actually relatively inert. It's very stable. RNA forms all of these really interesting structures. We call them hairpins. Um, there are, like, sometimes they form sort of clover shapes. And essentially, that these are different ways in which the RNA is folding back in on itself. And then as a result of that, it exposes certain parts of the molecule that they can be used to catalyze reactions. So essentially, if you have one really, really long string of primordial, DNA, of primordial RNA, some part of that can pro would probably be capable of adding new nucleotides onto itself. Um, maybe eventually some part of that is capable of carrying out some chemical reaction, which turns a less useful molecule into a more useful molecule, say like a nucleoside, one of the little... RNA bases. Um, and eventually, you know, you could get it where maybe this RNA eventually encodes something where one of the other RNA parts of it is able to read itself back and uh, assemble something with it. I mean, this is where it gets a little hand wavy because we don't know exactly the jump from RNA to eventual protein. Uh, but it is really important clearly that RNA has catalytic ability. It is able to do things on its own. Uh, so it was able to do some of its own heavy lifting. And so when we talk about this, it sounds like it's, chem you're talking about it's chemistry, basically. basically this is chemistry. very chemistry. This is chemistry. Right. And so it strikes, in fact, chemistry was a class that of, of all the sciences, which I loved chemistry, the only class I hated more than chemistry was biology. And I apologize, but that's how it was because <laughs> each of these classes got stinkier and more gross as you went along. So chemistry, mm -hmm. pretty stinky and gross, but really just like liquids and solids and things. Nothing. Biology, now you're talking like creatures and all that, oh, woo, much more complicated and terrifying. So, um, but, so <laughs> all that, just, that's my terrible excuse for not <laughs> grasping all these from the beginning. Um, but it sounds, like what, it sounds like what you're talking about is chemistry ultimately is the fact that the edge of any molecule we just call it that very crudely, right? Sort of the outside of the molecule. Um, touches, when, when two molecules touch each other, different types of atoms touch each other, suddenly they can transform or, you know, di the, the way that, the way each of those things interacts can change quite a bit. Maybe they join and that combination of things now can do all kinds of things or simply the act of touching maybe trades an atom from or an electron. Well, really frequently in, yeah, really frequently in organic chemistry, you get sort of electron trading and that will start mm -hmm. changing the way things are bound. Um, so right. some atoms are good electron acceptors. Um, so oxygen is very greedy. It will always take electrons. Uh, that's something that you sort of <laughs> learn in organic chemistry. Uh, really interestingly, and this is a main ingredient of life, is carbon is very stable. It's capable of easily forming four bonds with other mm -hmm. atoms. And because it's able to do this, it, it winds up being very stable. Um, you can form very long sheets of carbon just bound to other carbons or to hydrogen or to oxygen. Uh, and this winds up being very useful for life because it's very stable. Um, you can build a lot of things out of carbon. Um, and that's, you know, our amino acids are all 
you know, carbon chains with little additions on uh, one side that make it, that are sort of, I don't want to say customizable, but if you think of them as a little bit, there's an amino acid backbone and then sort of, you know, your variation part and that variation uh, Lego brick, whatever gets stuck in there, can have different properties, which then becomes useful in the context of a protein, which is a larger structure. There's like carbon has the lowest ego or the or the most stable ego of all of them. You know, it's like, you know, I don't need to do anything yeah. much. I'm okay just being here and being a part of the crowd and we're cool. It's really cool. Whereas you got you know hydrogen running around and like, ah, I don't know, whatever. Different <laughs> uh God forbid uranium wanders into your party or something. Well, hello. Um so uh on this planet, here we are, it's volcanoes going off, lightning, interest, very interesting thing you said, Matt, that volcanoes cause lightning, I'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but no living, I see no grass, no trees, nothing, there's no fish, there's nothing, no insects, absolutely not a single cell that we would consider as a living cell yet on this planet. Mm-hmm. And so Gabby, you walk up to some place where you're going to, let's say, look for Maybe you're, you would like to find some RNA that has yet to start doing its self-replicating thing, and you're going to help it do that. Uh, where what, do you do you walk up a hill? Do you go into a valley? Do you go into a lake? Where where might you want to go to find some RNA to then do whatever it is you're going to do to say get to work? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, so we have a general idea. Yeah, I mean, we call it the primordial soup um, right. because the idea is water provides a good environment for all these um, chemicals to smack into each other and start this kind of process. Um, so presumably you'd go down into a puddle, um, sort of a, a warm, murky puddle, Um and uh, again, because already, of that, this is why biologists, I said they're my heroes, but man, I am out of this class already. I, I'm not going something near. Right. So like nowadays, for instance, um, biologists, like people, biologists interested in this hang out on the ocean floor um, near thermal. They have picnics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Uh, because the idea is that maybe these thermal vents on the bottom of the ocean uh, are similar to what the the primordial soup was like early on. So maybe we can spot some of these uh, edge of living things um, still around today. Uh, And then maybe even like on, say, the moons of um, Jupiter or Saturn, uh, places like Europa uh, could also have these sorts of conditions too. I think it's also fair to mention that we, we don't really know if this was happening at all places on the world at once. Like, Mm. you know, this primordial Mm. soup was probably not, you know, like our ocean. This could have really just been a puddle. I managed to get bigger and, you know, eventually maybe hit an ocean where more stuff was. I don't think there's really any thought, uh, Matt, this directed you that this is was like global wide. This could have been well, something small. So this is, I mean, small. this is one of the great questions. I, I should say the, the umbrella term for everything we're talking about here is abiogenesis, life from mm-hmm. not life. Um, and uh, uh, one of the great questions is, is life something you get easily? when you have the right conditions, in which case you'd expect it to have appeared many times on different points of the earth, or is it a really weird thing, right? Is there, was there just one little puddle 
um, that had the conditions just right. And then once life gets going, it's hard to stop. Um, but it's really unclear, right? So we have, I mean, the fact that all the life on Earth does use DNA, that might be good evidence that we all came from the same bubble at some point. Um, or that might be evidence mm. that DNA is just um, an easy thing that happens, right? Whenever you get a big clump of stuff, something like DNA will appear. Um, and this is when, so this we should talk about the, uh, the Uri Miller experiment now, um, when these ideas were first put forward back in the 1930s, that this was sort of the mechanism by which things were appeared. And usually we blame this um, British biochemist named uh, J.B.S. Haldane uh, for this. Um, and then, because if this I mean, is the I case, was blaming him just the other day, <laughs> we can, um, we should, it was pointed out by amongst other people, um, uh, Harold Urey, that's U R E Y, um, who later becomes the guy who isolates plutonium for the first, uh, atomic bombs. Um, what? he's, oh, uh, tritium. Um, he's a very cool guy. There's a, a new book out on him that you should go read. Um, oh. I think called the, the life of of Uri. I'll, I'll dig it up before we finish here. Awesome. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it occurs to him and his graduate student, William Miller, that this, the, the things that we are describing as what the primordial Earth was like are conditions that we can easily make in the laboratory. These are not difficult things to do. So let's get all of this gunk. Let's get some methane and hydrogen and free carbons uh, and stick them in a jar. Um, and heat them up and run some electricity through them and see what happens. Um, and it turns out that if you let this run for a little while, uh, you get a brown gunk at the bottom of your, your glass jar. Uh, and if you analyze that gunk, you get you discover that the, that gunk is amino acids. Um, and amino acids are not life, but they are the things that DNA is made of. DNA is a long chain of amino acids. Yeah, now this okay, this term I, comes that right up. I, I don't think so. Uh, DNA, okay. DNA is uh, a phosphate. It's like a sugar backbone. But amino acids are the building blocks for proteins, okay. um, really fundamentally. And it's they life winds up being pretty interconnected, and amino acids get used in very interesting ways. Uh, but DNA is predominantly sugar phosphate. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you. So uh, yeah, so the idea is so that this is quite exciting because if amino acids are the basis of proteins, and proteins are the basis of you. Um, then in the lab, you have created what you might think of as the building blocks of life. Um, and the hope was that if you just let the experiment run longer and longer, uh, eventually you will get something that is recognizable as life and not just the building blocks thereof. Um, but it turns out that's not, or no one has successfully done this yet, right? So you can let this experiment run for years as Carl Sagan did. In fact, I think some of his, uh, jars are still running. Uh, oh, I didn't realize that Sagan today. was actually running that experiment. Yeah, Sagan had a whole room full of variations on this. So, you know, you when you set this Whoa. up, you change up the mixture of the methane and the temperature and so on. Um, and at one point, uh, Sagan actually held the patent for meat grown by this process with the no idea way. that if it worked well, <laughs> then you could produce meat from nothing and you get sort of vegetarian meat. Um, it is, I should say, that's not the, that's not the, the process beyond. that we use today for okay. Beyond Beef. So he, he the, the Sagan estate gets no money from the Beyond Burger when you eat that. Um, uh, uh, which but, one's uh, better? I think we need a taste <laughs> test. <laughs> 
Um, so it's uh, so it's a uh, it's a puzzling experiment to interpret because you can interpret it as yes, we can go from non-living materials to the building blocks of life. So maybe that's good evidence that we do understand where life comes from. Or you can look at it and say, look, you can run this process for years and you don't get anything other than brown gunk. Um, so don't. So clearly we don't understand what's going on, right? This, this is surely not the process. Um, um, and that turns out to be difficult to resolve. That is fascinating that even after all this time, uh, has something, like I feel like when you were, Starting out biology, Gabby, did, did you, did they, do they still teach that like, Mac maybe relates to this, that when I learned it was that Darwin had, there was an expression Darwin used, right? That life probably began in some small pond. Is that right? Like a, some small warm yeah. pond is what um, how Darwin described something like that. He was, he was extremely reluctant to talk about where life came from because he didn't know. Um, but yes, yeah, something yeah. like that. Right. But has that changed? Has that discussion now been like, oh, man, we don't even know. Pond. I mean, um, I mean, we are still technically talking about some quantity of hot soup, uh, okay. hot nutrient yeah. soup. Um, yeah. It's just, you, you know, the say, time you scale. Just that, you said that soup with the perfect Sagan uh, accent. Oh. The soup. Soup. Yes. I pride myself uh, on that. I have a tremendous affinity was, for soup. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, so I can say this, I do have an image of the, of this primordial earth and that, um, one reason maybe Sagan couldn't get it going in his lab and, you know, decided he got, you know, as happens, you, you go down other rabbit holes. He started searching Google and he's like, oh, maybe I should just make some meat while I'm at it. Um, uh, but if we're talking about, if you have, imagine one molecule of RNA and how many of those must have existed across the entire planet earth, right? That must be just un, some some vast number, and all those interactions that are happening at any given second on the Earth, let alone over five hundred million years, right? That's a lot more than any lab has been able to replicate. Uh, doesn't even come close, right? So, well, I mean, it's hard to say. No. This is the this is the weirdness of self replicating things. Is that you right now have an enormous number of RNA? In you, um, yes. I don't know, Gabby. What we, what would be an estimate oh, of how much some, RNA Philip has? Obscene in, in number, but it's also yeah. everywhere too. So, like, right. much as I talk about bacteria are everywhere, but RNA is also everywhere. Um, RNases are also everywhere. Things that degrade mm -hmm. RNA. It's actually a little bit of a pain in research. <laughs> you have to constantly uh, clean your surfaces really well if you're working with RNA. Uh -huh. um, but um, yeah, but it, I, but I could not point, all number. At some point on the primordial Earth, there was a first strand of RNA. Yeah. Um, true, but true. because it's self-replicating, um, and it will self-replicate in an exponential kind of way, as soon as it gets a foothold, um, the numbers increase dramatically, and it'll spread to, to cover the whole planet. So it's the same reason that it's a pain for Gabby to keep her lab clean. Um, once the RNA gets going... Um, you know, it's got no predators or anything. Yeah, everything <laughs> right. um, so this is amazing. This is actually quite an image that here you are, you're standing on the surface of the earth just before this RNA begins replicating like mad um, over some relatively short period of time, geologically speaking. 
boom, the planet, this planet, which had nothing self-replicating on it, right? That's the point. Like there's mm -hmm. rocks, there's the volcanoes spewing magma is not self-replicating. It's just moving stuff around. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe uh, humidity goes up into the air. It comes down as rain. It's all going around and around and around, but there's nothing self-replicating in that. And suddenly this thing gets going and takes over the whole planet for the very first time. Something is doing this on this planet. That's kind of amazing. And what we're you're saying is that with our current science, we're still not. It's hard to say whether we're close or not close, but that's right. So I should say this how is, to do that. Um, so there's now a different strategy, right? So oh. it, it's clear that the the Miller-Urey experiment is not going to crack the problem for us. Um, so people are not really trying to, to build life that way anymore. Um, so instead, there's a slightly different discipline that nowadays we call synthetic biology, um, which is trying to build living things um, piece by piece, as it were. Um, that is, if we can't coax non-living stuff to make RNA on its own, let's just make RNA base by base. All right, right? We, we know what genes are and we can manipulate them on a very small level. So let's actually try to take six, <laughs> uh, six nucleic acids um, and stick them together and see if we can make a gene that does their thing. So is it like we're building something a little, so the original we called the building blocks of life, these amino acids are that sort of wound up in this jar in the gunk and whatever. Um, what we're saying is, well, we could make those, but it sounds like what you're actually building here is something a little bit more complicated than that, going a step further. Um, well, it's more complicated in the sense that um, it is more technically difficult. It's simpler in the sense that what we're trying to do is actually, so if we go back to the Tinker Toys for a minute, um, the, the Miller-Urey experiment is you take all the Tinker Toys, you take a huge number of the Tinker Toys and you stick them in a big um, uh, bucket and then you swing the bucket around lots of times um, and check every now and then to see. Um, and you see that every now and then, um, uh, yeah, sure enough, some of the Tinker Toys have linked up, but they haven't made anything interesting yet. Synthetic right. biology is actually taking the Tinker Toy pieces piece by piece and intentionally assembling them yeah. in a way that looks interesting to us. Right. And just for those who have no idea what this is, Tinker Toys, basically what they are, they're, they're just like sticks, long sticks of wood mm -hmm. back then, now plastic, I imagine. And just two things. You had these long, lots of, tons of these little, long, little sticks, straight sticks, and then um, kind of round um, blocks of wood that had holes in them. And that was it. You could stick the stick, sticks in the little holes and mm -hmm. start connecting things and basically building little something that looks like molecules, for instance, or whatever you want. Um, yeah, so you imagine you put a bunch of those in a bucket, put a bunch of sticks and a bunch of little round pieces of wood that have holes in them in a bucket and swing it around and swing it around and swing it around. You're not likely to get a lot of things, a lot of those things connecting. <laughs> but if you just, if you know what you're doing, even a, even a child, even a child could do it because that's who these that's toys the are made for. Yeah. Yeah, could pick them, pick up a stick and put it in the hole and then take another one. And now, for instance, yeah. you put a piece of wood on either end of the stick and you now have um, something that looks like a barbell and add mm -hmm. another thing, add another thing. 
Um, um, yeah, so people yeah. have been trying to do this, and uh, notably um, Craig Venter, who is one of the, oh. the pioneers on the Human Genome Project. Um, that's what he and his peeps are up to these days. Um, mm. I actually don't know what the state of this is. Gabby, do you know anything about this? I, know this is not um, I only know a little. Um, I mean, I know most of the successes in synthetic biology currently are getting, are sort of modifying extant genes or proteins. And we're putting them into organisms that you wouldn't see them in naturally. Uh, so, for example, uh, they've made rice express uh, beta carotene to combat vitamin deficiency. Oh, cool. um, mm -hmm. So just, you know, since we can use single-celled organisms and grow them pretty easily, like bacteria or yeast, um, you see often introducing genes into these guys so then they could mass produce some kind of product um, that you could then use for something else. Uh, which is, it's very convenient um, rather than mm -hmm. isolating it from natural sources where the concentration might be really low. Yeah. Um, but I've talked a lot about, you know, it's easier to break something in biology than it is to make something. And <laughs> understanding proteins and protein folding can actually be very difficult. It's not as easy as just saying, well, I want this part of gene A and this part of gene B, so let me just stick them together. In reality, when they have to actually fold the correct way to do what they need to do, the part of gene B may interfere with the folding of gene A. The organism may not like it for some reason, so it might chop out the center of the two of them, so then you don't have gene A or gene B. Um, but it is it is pretty neat. I mean, the, the idea is if we get it going, uh, we can then use um, organisms as opposed to um, industrial processes to uh, manufacture things um, or mm -hmm. accomplish goals. Um, for example, maybe like, I don't know, you could, instead of a cast, you could have some sort of plant that grows a matrix that you, that would protect your leg or something. Yeah. Oh, whoa, that would be so cool. So yeah, as we start to wrap up here, it's interesting because we've now wandered into the way you're describing it now, Gabby, is a, a territory or a vibe, I would say, that <laughs> I'm somewhat more familiar with. It's almost, it's more like engineering. Right. And what it sounds like is talking about, the, you know, when we talk about protein folding, I would say this is, this is a hard thing to capture in audio only, uh, you know, mm -hmm. go look up protein folding. And there's even um, right. There's a need to understand protein folding. So there's they're like there's like screensavers you can get that'll help research projects. Um, your computer just keeps running um, simulated protein folding things to sort of hopefully find because basically we're talking about enormous complicated structures right many 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 atoms um, it's all chemistry and physics yeah mm -hmm. and just the just the, the a what atoms are contained in in that structure is part of it but also literally just the shape of it this is incredible that the way you bend it the shape of it the architecture of well, it 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 bends itself it forms it. its own chemical yeah. bonds to other parts of itself um, yeah. And it, it's it's really, really fascinating how these things work out. I mean, this is, a, you can see how this is a big part of also the sort of incredible magic or just why it was, in, it's a very hard, very rare thing to do. You can't just dump a bunch of stuff in a jar and get it going. We're yeah. talking about this, this evolution, you know, which requires huge eons of time and zillions of random things being done to the soup. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's just why this happens. So um, uh, lastly, can we, it seems to me that thinking about engineering, that in engineering, the way, you know, you try to figure out, and even children do this all the time. I do my parents' 
horror, I did this a lot, which is you just take something apart to figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. Have we, if I have a living thing, but not a conscious thing, so it's not harmed, technically harmed by this, but like if I you take one of your viruses, you know, like the, this, what seemed to be among the simplest forms of something we would consider even already on the border of living, not living, and I just start taking out pieces of it, can I not eventually identify the smallest necessary piece and then figure out how to make one of them? Yeah, I mean, that is something we're, we're working on right now. The, the trouble mm-hmm. is that, you know, everything we're looking at is several hundred million years down the evolutionary pipeline. Uh, so you are staring at a very complex system with a lot of redundancies um, and a lot of sometimes things that are obsolete, too. Um, but yeah, we are starting to do that. I think uh, there was an experiment to identify the minimum number of genes for life. Mm-hmm. Um, this was in bacteria. Let me see if I can find anything about it. Um, 473, I think, is the current. Yeah, that's the current answer. They were depleting uh, genes from a very simple bacteria. And so they, oh, they have a minimum uh, genome. Uh, but even then, they didn't really know what 150 of them did. Uh, so we are trying to figure out what are the bare minimum ingredients. But like I said, it's, it's, it's a little complicated. But the field yeah. of cell biology is based on this. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 485, was it, um, is not that big a number, right? And it no, seems no, like not compared to us. We should be able to uh, – um, that's something we should be able to do the other way too, right? We should be able to start from zero and put 485 things oh. together um, and thus create a living right, thing. right. Um, and that's what Venter and friends are hoping to do is to, to create essentially just a thing that can replicate itself. Um, it doesn't have to do anything else, just needs to replicate itself and then they get the right. credit for that. So um, can, we, can we end end on this analogy? Tell me, does this make sense for either of you? That seems, it seems to me what we're talking about is like, I could imagine, I was like, okay, suppose I wanted to figure out, suppose I wanted to make cars um, and a car is a relatively simple thing compared to the, some of the kinds of incredible machines we have on this planet. But now even cars are quite complicated. So let me go back to like the Model T, right? The first car that was mass produced, sim- rel- quite simple machine, let's say, a certain mm-hmm. very finite number of parts and a relatively, relatively simple chemistry that makes it work and so forth. But it's still a bunch of parts. And if I had no idea what it was. So is it kind of like that? Like if I found a Model T, I would have no idea of the manufacturing process that went into it, let alone all the testing, all the experiment, right? I mean, there was a well, I think the, so the important thing yeah. to, to consider here is what Gabby was just saying is that right. um, it's we're when we look into an existing critter today, when we take a badger and try to figure out what makes it alive, we're right. not looking at a Model T. We're looking at uh, the most modern car today. And and in fact, this is the case. Like if you open up the hood of a car today, you will not see anything interesting, right? It's just a a flat slab of plastic that you're not supposed to interact with. That's what it's like looking at living critters today. So looking at a model T would be extremely helpful for understanding how cars work. The problem is that there are no model T's anymore that we know of, right? Everything alive on earth today is the result of billions of years of evolution. Um, So that's part of the trick. So we're trying to reconstruct a car without actually being able to open up a car 
or if we do open up a car, it's so complicated already that you kind of don't know where to start. That's amazing. Billions of years. I mean, you figure cars have only been around for what, a century or something yeah. and they're made by people. So it's like, there's not nearly the number of, of cells interacting on the planet uh, mm -hmm. over 4 billion or three and a half billion years. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Um, so Gabby, I think it sounds like you're going to, I don't see you giving up and just teleporting back to the present and saying, well, that, that didn't work out. Um, what might you, what, what might you, a little program you're going to set up there that uh, you'll keep coming back and checking on throughout? Yeah, well, I would be fascinated to know, and this is me being definitely, I guess, a molecular biologist. I want to know the sequence of that little piece of mm. RNA that's self-replicating. I want to uh, know what it is because uh, then we have, you know, at least adequate systems to try to figure out, all right, well then, you know, what is its structure? What are the catalytic regions of it? Then you can really start teasing apart uh, the biochemistry of, of how it's working. And I feel like there are enough RNA biologists and uh, ribosome people in the world that if I brought that back, uh, they would have a field day. <laughs> Literally a field day. Yeah. Actually, you, you're the yeah. one who went into the field. They would be back in the comfortable in the lab that said, in the twenty first century. Watch me, uh, sort of butterfly effect, scoop up the, yeah. the one great, 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 great uh, grandpappy RNA, and then we're all That's we right. never got out of the soup. Jeff Jeff Bezos has hair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is a great place to end because that story you're referring to uh, is, um, I believe, it's a Ray Bradbury story, and. Mm -hmm. um, it, it begins with some guys are going dinosaur hunting, as you do. Um, this is a story of its own time, of course. And uh, anyway, they go into the time machine. And as they go into the time machine, this is one of the weirdest parts of this story. Um, there is an election underway for president. And they don't say anything about it other than there's a good guy from the point of view of these scientists, who are, these, these explorers who are going into this time machine, and a guy who's just absolutely horrible, horrible, and, uh, you know, will never win or whatever. But, uh, oh, I hope this turns out well. Meanwhile, yeah, I guess they already voted, and they go into the time machine, they go into the past, and, um, uh, no, I'm sorry, as they leave, it must be that the good guy won. Whew, thank God the good guy won. The bad guy lost that election. All right, let's all go on vacation. So they go into the time machine, they go back in time, they walk in the, the guide, kind of Jurassic Park style, says, uh, okay, here's the thing. You have to stay on the path, this wooden path, whatever. Stay on this path because for whatever reason, this is protected. Um, don't touch anything because you will mess with the, the timeline of the world. And so they go and they do their things and everyone, ooh, there's something happens. And oh, oh my God, we almost touched something. We almost ruined something. Fortunately, we didn't. Okay, it all worked out okay. All right, back to the time machine go back to the present. They go back to the present. And the first thing they learn is that the bad, the evil guy has won and the, you know, the country is going to be a nightmare. And I don't know if anyone's ever lived through an election like that. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's and, impossible. Uh, it never happened in the 21st century. They're like, what? How could this be? <laughs> we, we didn't do this, did we? You know, like we were all, everybody stayed on the path. And one guy lifts his shoe and on the bottom is a dead butterfly. Dun, dun. So... <laughs> Oh, Work out okay. Thought, little thought. Um, it could very well be that um, some Charles Darwin-like person went back in time and intentionally messed with the RNA to give it the kickstart he or she wanted, and that is how we all came to be. So it is possible, Gabby, you did this, maybe on Ambien, 
you know, <laughs> but we don't know. But uh, I'll thank you. I think it's so far it's turned out okay. It's turned I'll out accept like that creation myth. Yes. <laughs> it was. It was a. It was a virology, uh, a virologist on Ambien, accidentally <laughs> wandered into the time machine. <laughs> mm-hmm. As happens. That happens. Quite an yeah. if. Quite an if. Thank you, um, Gabby. Thank you. This is like, man, so cool. I love not only your ability to both of you, but you know, Gabby, your ability to explain things, but also your enthusiasm for it. Super cool, uh, Matt. Also, you know, in spite of your um, more mature. Um, the, you, you've you've been around the block more, as I have I. You still have boyish enthusiasm for this as well, and I I see your fever of the. I feel like you're going to go out right now and build your own Yuri Miller experiment. Oh, I would totally be down for that. Um, I should yeah. say that it's generally forbidden by most renters' agreements. Okay. Um, so it's really <laughs> Subsection three: creation of life forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. Do we know? I, I, I was funny because I was up at Cornell not that long ago, and I'm actually going to be up there again. Um, is that experiment still running? I don't know, actually. There's no reason it couldn't be. Um, right. I'll ask my peeps. Right. Although any college dorm is essentially running that. It's pretty much it. Yeah. Perpetually. So kudos. Shout out to Cornell, um, former home of uh, Carl Sagan and uh, everyone else. Uh, Gabby, shout out to Rockefeller University. Is there anything you'd like to plug coming up? Anything's happening in uh, this week in virology? Uh, much like the RNA world, it is just a sterile soup in my life. There is nothing going on. <laughs> Spons- today sponsored by uh, Campbell's. The soup. Yeah. Okay. I- I'm no really craving you. soup. Yeah, I know. Me too. Amy's soup is also very good. Step up. Um, all right. And uh, Matt, anything you would like to plug? Um, if you're registered for one of my classes, um, I expect you to show up on Monday I'll see you there. That's yeah, that sounds very good. And if people, you know, people do listen by the way, and they want to find out, want to experience more of your, uh, your oeuvre, either Mm -hmm. in written or verbal form, uh, where can they, uh, you could go to, you could go to one day university, um, and, uh, watch one of my lectures, uh, streaming there. Uh, or you Excellent. could purchase one of my books. Um, Einstein's War is probably the most uh, accessible. Um, oh, and while I am thinking of it, I wanted to find the correct name of that book on Harold Curry. So while Matt, no, you go ahead. I amazingly have something to plug. That I, huh? I don't think I generally have something. I have something to plug. And uh, one of the things has already happened unless I have stepped on a butterfly, which is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, tonight, uh, which is in the past of the time you are listening to this in a um, uh, time-shifted fashion, but uh, Thursday, September 2nd, I'm going to be on um, the Singularity podcast, um, which is uh, Mike, uh, one of the guests uh, from a, our episode, which I believe aired last week on this show from the... Uh, unidentified celebrity review anyway they they explore all kinds of interesting topics and and so i'm going to be on the singularity podcast tonight talking about that and also going to be talking about another thing i'm going to be on mike is a member of um, the team um who you can hear talking on our episode uh on sunday i'm oh, sorry on friday saturday and sunday they are hosting something called the big phone home 
which I think is a beautiful, funny name, which is sort of a three-day-long virtual conference seminar on the topic of UFOs and alien life and things like that, um, going all the way from totally out there, science fiction-y, you know, uh, woo ideas to, you know, deeply scientific. So they're going to have, the day I'm on actually is kind of the hardcore science day. Avi Loeb is going to be on there, uh, who's an astronomer at Harvard and all kinds of people like that. And I will be on in the evening. So go check it out. The Big Phone Home, thebigphonehome.com and the Singularity Podcast. Very exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the book I was referring to uh, is called The Life and Science of Harold C. Uri. That's U-R-E-Y. And the author's name is Matthew Schindel. Uh, you should go read it if you want to know more about those experiments uh, about life. Right on, right on. Check it out. All right, everyone. Um, still, if you've somehow still not been vaccinated, highly recommended. Mm -hmm. Gabby, yes. Yep, get the jab. Get the jab. What do they call it? The Fauci ouchie. <laughs> Love that. Uh, yes, it's good for you. It's good for you. Um, do something positive for the world and yourself you know it's probably the crazy the funny thing about i understand okay people don't want you know, they're nervous whatever for whatever reasons they don't want to get it on the other hand it's kind of crazy it's about the easiest thing you could ever do i mean it's not even like you go to the gym i totally get not wanting to go to the gym this thing is like over literally in less than a second mm -hmm. so um and notably horse dewormer does not help you oh okay heads yeah there's a headline yeah heads up to everyone rating Tractor supply stores, just get, get the right. vaccine as opposed to ingesting a horse level concentration of what is actually poison. Like, Likewise, stop, that is how giving the works. Right. stop giving the horses the COVID vaccine. Totally yeah. It's <laughs> trade, trade, you got your trade. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the horse, the horse knows this, by the way, it's just like, I'm done. Why are you using my medicine? Hello. Um, so, yeah, all good advice. Thank you all for ifing with us. Uh, send your own ideas for if. Where would you go in time? What science, What mystery would you explore or try to solve? Or what self-replicating insanity, unstoppable, would you like to start anywhere in the universe? And how would you do it? Or it can be very, very simple. No idea is too big or too small. And that's the truth. Uh, feedback at whattheif.com if you want to email us. Or you can just go to our website whattheif.com, and right there on the front page is a little suggestion box. You can write in, send us some thoughts. You can write anything in that box, by the way. Somebody once wrote, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. So awesome. <laughs> Maybe they wanted, you know, to us. We could do okay. a show on Beyond Beyond Burgers. That would be fun, mm -hmm. kind of fun. Um, and uh, you can also listen to all our episodes. You can, all our episodes are there. And if you don't know, the podcast app you're listening to, because you're doing something, um, unless it's online on the web, which is fine, uh, your app right there, you can actually scroll back and find all our episodes. Best thing to do, hit the subscribe button. Boom. Suddenly you'll have all the, all the new episodes just show up automatically. It couldn't be easier. The only thing easier is the Fauci ouchie. Um, and uh, yeah, so do all that. If you could be so kind as to leave us a review, there are zillions of podcasts. used to be there was only iTunes, now called Apple Podcasts. But uh, boy, we're available and you may be listening to us on anywhere. We're, we just see listeners coming in from Spotify and Podbean. And I don't know, there's these names of things I never even heard of. Uh, the podcast universe is blossoming and it is wonderful. And um, but if you could leave us a review on whatever site you're listening to. So the other people who also share that same service know about us. That'd be awesome. Thank you very much. A rating and review.
Thank you. Uh, now, um, Gabby, would you explain the ritual for the uninitiated that we we uh, participate in as we close out the show? Yeah. So as we are staring at the bubbling puddle of soup that from whence we all came, uh, we cannot help but stream out the name of the show in awe and terror of what awaits us next week. So, if you will join me. Yes. <laughs> what? what? No. Thank you all for listening. Don't touch those butterflies. Let them be free. And as long as you don't touch the butterflies, we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. If you do touch the butterflies, I can't be responsible for whatever. Oh. <laughs>